Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello. Welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken here. Joined as usual by David Hartrick. Apologies for the delay on getting this episode out unavoidable circumstances but Huddersfield Town haven't had a game at the weekend so we've not really missed anything. Um, Two games to talk about. I think we'll end up talking about one more than the other because it feels Mm -hmm. like that Swansea game was a lifetime ago now and let's be honest I think probably the back half of this podcast is going to be talking about the games that are coming up as much as the games that, that have just been and gone but Swansea City won Huddersfield Town nil and then Sunderland won Huddersfield Town won. Swansea game, I don't know if you had the same reaction as me, Dave, but when you see that team sheet without Josh Caroma on it, mm. you think, mm, where are the goals going to come from in this side? And that's pretty much what happened. Um, they, 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 I thought it was a really poor game, actually. I, I think there's been some poor games this season in terms of Town's performance, but I think in terms of sort of board draws where neither side were particularly troubling each other's goalkeepers. I think this was down there. Uh, deflected goal for Swansea. <laughs> but nil-nil probably would have been the fair result, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'm I, with you. I thought it was a pretty dreadful game. I think Town tried to make it dreadful by design and I think yes. Swansea went along with it for a large part, if I'm honest. I think Swansea always fancied themselves to nick one with Town playing that way and that's exactly what happened. And it was quite it was quite a flat performance. I mean, I kind of get it. I don't think there's any way Town can go and play football against Swansea. So I I, I get the approach, but it was kind of it, it was it was one that slightly worried me from the point of view of it. I mean, I think I said to you afterwards it was like okay, Neil Warnock, what else have you got? Because we'd seen this sort of try and drag them down a bit and then try and see if you can nick something approach you know to a greater or lesser extent and it's been successful but yeah I think I think Swansea are an interesting side so like losing 1-0 at their place I don't think there's any disgrace in that Steve at all I don't think it's one any of us sort of had chalked up as oh that's that's a real opportunity for three points but I just weirdly felt that like Town didn't even not that they didn't even try but they just didn't lay a glove on them really did they is the thing and yeah, I'm with you. I love the description. That's certainly down there with the with with the sort of the real endurance tests some of the games have been this season. Yeah, I, I think Warnick said after the game that he wanted to tighten things back up again defensively after conceding six against uh, Middlesbrough, Watford, and Blackburn. Obviously, Town won two of those games and, and drew the other one, mm. but. I think, and and two of those teams are very good teams. The other one's Watford, but <laughs> who I saw again at the weekend, and they're dreadful then as well. But I I understand that approach. It felt like he'd never admit this. I'm sure 
but it sort of felt to me both with the lineup and the approach and his general demeanour after the game, it sort of felt like Warner could go on, well, if we're going to lose one more game yeah. this season, it might as well be this one. Yeah, I, um, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. I, I didn't want to vocalise it, but now you have, I can say, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how I felt as well. It, it was interesting tactically. It was pretty much a 3-3-1-3 uh, on the ball. I know I spoke to someone who was struggling to work out what the exact shape was. You had David Kasumi playing as a nominally right wing back, but basically becoming the left winger. You had Headley left wing back, basically becoming the left winger. Um, Rodoni Hogg, Edmunds Green as a midfield three, and Diara sort of in between those two lines, as I say. Basically, 3-3-1-3. Um... But I think Town did lose their shape after about... They started all right for about 25 minutes, half an hour, and then I thought they sort of lost their shape, ended up dropping back a lot. There's not a lot to really add on this game, I don't think. it's As I say, it's it's been and gone. It would have been great if they'd got a point there, I think. And particularly, look, having spent three hours looking at the permutations for survival the other day, obviously a point there would have been very, very good. But my sort of attitude to... The selection decisions, particularly after Warnock explained he wanted to give Ruffles and Coroma a rest, having played, obviously, you know, they had that busy mm. Easter schedule, having also played uh, played Middlesbrough um, on, um, on the 1st of April, that... If they, if Josh Caroma then went and got a goal against Sunderland, and if Town put in a more energetic performance and showed a bit more against Sunderland, that that it would be kind of forgiven and you could kind of regard it as all right this wasn't great but he's trying to get defensive discipline back into the team he's trying to build towards the final three games of the season or four mm. games of the season as it was then the Sunderland game is a very very different approach right from the beginning you know they they dropped deep against Swansea it was kind of reminiscent of the performance they'd put in against Bristol City after losing nil, uh, 4-0 to Coventry actually now that I think of it Sunderland they pressed really high they went into a 4-2-3-1 and, and pushed Sunderland high up the pitch and tried to pressure them tried to rob the ball off them in their own half uh, tried to limit them to to counter-attacking opportunities which even Tony Mowbray said after the game yeah that's the right approach against us because we've not got a lot of pace they did get done on the counter really good counter-attacking move we'll get on to David Kasumi's role in that shortly because I know you want to talk about him but you said Dave just then and you'd said it before the game what else have you got Neil Warnock and this was something else yeah it was and I think I thought it was interesting because I think it was quite a risky formation because it leaves a, a couple of pockets of space on the pitch and it was interesting to sort of go for it in an away game like they did but I think they needed to because you know Neil Warnock is a county manager and he will know that other clubs IT guys as he calls them um, <laughs> analysts will have been watching what they're doing and weirdly I think that there's a training drill I've seen at a few clubs where um, essentially it's 11 v 11 but one of the 11 doesn't touch the ball it's just all about getting in shape off the ball essentially and you sort of restart from the edge of the the edge of the uh, the, the people the team that can play with the balls penalty area each time after a goal and it's just about getting in shape and making it really difficult to get between the lines etc and I felt the Swansea game was a lot of that if I'm honest but then you come to this game and it was quite clear they were going to be a lot more proactive from the off. And 
it, it wasn't, listen, like we're not trying to say they suddenly bloomed into Keegan's Newcastle <laughs> and were, were going for it, but it was good to see them try some different angles and try some different lines. And they grew into the game, it would be very fair to say. You know, I, I don't think they, they started like a steam train particularly. They, and they were, I really think this break has come at a perfect time because I think there were, there was one or two players in that side who looked like they had tired mind not tired legs bit of a tired mind and you see that in decision making and pass selection and a couple of other things and I thought getting a a point from that game I thought was was not only was it a fair result I think on balance it's it's a pretty good point to take to be honest with you and I think if you're going to be brave like that and try and do something different and try and go for it a point really is the least you 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 can sort of feel you deserve as well. So I think the result arguably sort of slightly better than the performance, but the performance wasn't particularly bad either. And you know that that man Josh Caroma, I mean, like two months ago, who'd have thought we would be sitting here waxing lyrical about Town's danger man, uh, first <laughs> name on the team sheet almost. I, I thought the I thought if I thought Town could have won this game to be honest i slightly mm. disagree on that i think i don't think they had like i don't think they peppered the goal with shots but that's kind of the issue they had a lot of moves where they got into really good mm. positions and unfortunately it was sort of filled down itis kicked in again because yep they'd get into those good positions and then the final decision or the final ball or the decision about whether to shoot or not or when to shoot just just wasn't quite right. I think Headley and um, and Diara were especially prone to that. Um, and I don't like singling out young players, but then if they are playing first team football, then it's you know it's going to happen. Um, that's inexperience, I think, on on their part. To be fair, um, yeah. and and you'd rather at this stage they were getting into the positions um, than not. But obviously, Town are in a relegation battle, so. I think they need to to learn quickly if they do get into those positions again. They need to learn quickly to to make the right decisions there. Um, but yeah, I, I I thought it was. I agree with you. I think it was good to see Town doing something different. You know, the, the centre backs were playing when Sunderland had the ball in their own half. The centre backs were only just behind the halfway line for Town, um, which is not like we've seen recently. And even Neil Warnock sort of <laughs> alluded to. The fact that not having John, not having Jonathan Hogg in the team is what motivated his decision to take that approach, which I think is is interesting because you've said a million times in this podcast over the years, Dave, that Jonathan Hogg has a bit of a tendency to drag the, the rest of the side quite deep. I thought it was interesting that without him in the team, they were able to to push up a, a little bit more. I'm not sure if if he's going to be fit against Cardiff or not at this stage. But would you put him back into the team or would you be tempted to continue without him? I would be... There are so many things that Jonathan Hogg brings when he's in that side, right? But we're at a point in his career where it's a a ticks in one column and crosses in the other. And I think it's partly dependent on the structure around him. But also, it depends what you want to, how you want to do it. I, I quite like, and we've talked about it on here. I quite like the bravery of playing him a bit higher. And when Warnock has gone into that system, where essentially out on the pitch it's ten v ten, you know they go man for man really across the pitch. I think he's quite good, and it works. But the problem is, kind of the secrets out on that one. 
So it really depends on what Warnock wants to do in the next game. And I, I, I keep going backwards and forwards on it. I, I think the thing is with Hogg that we've said it time and time again, really, over the last couple of years. When Town have, have sort of bought a midfielder and they've been linked with a midfielder, we've gone, oh, that looks like that could be long-term the Jonathan Hogg successor. Oh, they've signed David Kasumi. Oh, he must be the Jonathan Hogg successor. But it is fair to say nobody else really does what Hoggy does on that pitch. But I don't I don't know. You see, this Cardiff game it is huge, Steve, as we know, because mm-hmm. it is a real chance for Town to essentially save themselves, you know, to, to get the job done, get over the line. You know, if results go their way over the weekend... And it just feels like a game maybe not to get caught too deep. I know they're away from home, but it's Cardiff who've had a Huddersfield town of a season. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're not they're not great going forward. A lot of their problems are the exact same problems that Town have got. Do you have Hoggy in the side to draw? To, who does draw you a little bit deeper? I don't know. I think you, <coughs> I think you try and play a higher line. And if you try and play a higher line. You can't have Jonathan Hogg in there. That's the honest truth of it. Because none of Town's defence, which you know are all playing really, really well and getting back to where they want to be, but the one thing you would say is none of them are particularly blessed with pace. No. You know. So if Hogg is your cover, like pacey forwards and pacey wide players are always going to trouble you. So, yeah, I don't know. In a roundabout sort of way, I've come back to here, Steve. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It does. I, I agree. It depends on the approach. I think there's a there is a bit of a trade off as well because, and you've sort of touched on it there. I think I, I'm a big fan of Tom Lee's, as people will know. I thought first half against Sunderland, he was all over the shop positionally, yeah. Um, yeah. and and I think historically he has struggled with a high line. Um, so I think there is a trade off there that that maybe taking Hog out gives you more sort of pressing ability in the opposition third, but you're also potentially more exposed because you've you've got a defence that can't necessarily handle it and, and do need a lot of cover. I mean that that midfield five, if you want to call it midfield, that midfield five against Sunderland had an average age of, of twenty two and a quarter. Not quite. The oldest yeah. player in there is Josh Gromer, who's, who's 24. But I think this is sort of the... I think this is a gap for summer, and I touched on it in a piece the other day about players who might need replacing. And by this, I don't mean go and sell Hoggy, but David Kasumu is the next oldest uh, out-and-out central midfielder that Town have mm. after Jonathan Hogg. There is a gap in the squad there, I think, for a slightly more experienced player who who can come in and cover Hoggy because we know he's going to have injuries you know this hip injury he's got it's not the first time over the past few years that he's had it um so yeah and as you say i think it does depend i i thought it was interesting against millwall that warnock sort of got around this by basically making hog press as a center forward mm. he, he put him it was basically four four two off the ball and he had hoggy pressing alongside danny ward I, I don't think he's really done that since then but i do wonder if that is a a way round it if you wanted to to find a place where you feel like his leadership and his you know everything else he does is important against Cardiff and in the upcoming games, is that an option for him? Maybe. Yeah, um, we both like that. And again, I think if you go for some sort of system, what Warnock has been doing at Town or what he likes 
to do to try and get out of this and he's done this in other relegation battles is he will play a system he will play a formation but essentially your outfield players all go out there with a man to go up against so it's you know you follow him I don't care if he drops into a different position you follow him and I think if you do that and you have Hoggy high and you have him pressing on a defender I think that kind of works but the only thing is you've got to you're kind of sacrificing an attacking player sometimes to do that yeah and this is a game that town have got to score in you know that that's the that's the truth of it they cannot afford i mean don't get me wrong they can afford to draw nil nil but they need to be more ambitious than that you know this this is a real opportunity to essentially get this done and dusted with two games to spare and then that gives you you know, I I would advocate this is the game that you you can possibly roll the dice a little bit in and go for it. And I just it's that classic thing of we're both sitting here going, okay, well if we're going to have Jonathan Hogg in the side, we're going to have to move stuff around. You know, we're going to have to accommodate him. We're going to have to work system around. If you have to do that, the trade-off has to be that Jonathan Hogg makes a huge difference to the game and is is you know the pivotal player. I'm not sure he would be. You know, mm. I'm not sure he's worth the compromises for everyone else. So, for me, I probably, I think on balance, I probably wouldn't put him back in. But again, it completely depends what you're asking everybody else to do, doesn't it? There, yeah. there is, there is a system where he's very handy and would work. But yeah, I don't know. It, with, without sort of throwing forward too far. You know, his role next season, next season town are going to be very different. They're going to have a different manager. They're going to have a different owner. We don't know what the recruitment's going to look like. We don't know what the sort of shape of the club philosophy is going to look like. But Jonathan Hogg will still be there. You know, he signed his new contract. But we're at a point in his career where sort of we want Jonathan Hogg to be there. But we also can't really advocate at this point that Jonathan Hogg plays... 42 games next season can we you know yeah. he he can't in the nicest possible sense he may he can still be club captain for everything he brings on and off the pitch but I think we are at a point where town's strongest first 11 probably needs to get to the point where it doesn't feature Jonathan Hogg purely on an age basis Steve he's you know? 35 next season yeah it's it's he's 35 he has a persistent hip injury you know, it's time to sort of. You want two more years of hoggy. You've got to manage that, haven't you? And you're not going to get that by just playing him relentlessly. So, Town have got to get themselves to a point where they don't feel they need him all the time, haven't they? So, mm-hmm. I know it's going to look very different over the summer, but yeah, it's an interesting one. Well, that's a debate I'm sure we'll come back to over the summer. Yeah. I think before we move on to look at the alternatives, you mentioned it a couple of times there, three points could get town over the line um, on Sunday. For that to be the case, Reading would need to lose to Wigan and Blackpool fail to beat Millwall. Um, Blackpool play Friday, Reading play Saturday. Um, So just to run through the permutations, because I spent ages doing them, if town (laughs) beat Cardiff and Sheffield United, they're safe. The Reading game is irrelevant. If they take at least four points from their remaining games and at least one of those points is against Reading, then they're safe. Or if they beat Reading on the final day and Blackpool drop any points whatsoever, they're safe. There's more detail than that in the piece. Mm. There's there's lots of different ways that it could play out, but those are the headlines, really. Um, for Cardiff, we're recording this before they 
go to Rotherham uh, on on Thursday, and and we and their result is if you're looking at just Red Ink, kind of irrelevant to town, um, mm. but could become relevant to town um, if you know if if Reading go and win, but then Town go and beat Cardiff. You're ahead of Cardiff, and you've got a couple of teams below you who who you can get ahead of. So. We'll see, but obviously if Cardiff win, then it means Rotherham have lost. So, yeah, horses for courses. Um, and I think we'll save any more permutation chat for next week once we actually have a better idea. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But you, I know, have some misgivings. That the most obvious player to come in for Hoggy, as he did against Sunderland, is David Kasumu. I know you have some some thoughts on him. <laughs> yeah, I, it, do you know it's really it's really strange because he's becoming a player who really d- d- divides people. Because I talked to somebody who thinks over the last few games he's been the difference and he he said his own before his own words he thought he was magnificent now i'm looking at him and i still i'm still struggling to work out and sort of definitively define what i think his best role is mm. i think that the like i'm not i'm trying not to be sort of make sweeping statements or be too disparaging but Huddersfield Town as a crowd loves a player who flies into a tackle. And that's absolutely fine. We all do that. But the problem with David Kasumu, he doesn't do it with any sort of nous. He's not very clever when he does it. He always gets booked, Steve. <laughs> he always gets booked. And I just think there's a lot of... I mean, people have spent the season talking about sort of, you know, Jack Rodoni's rough edges and how he's going to develop and improve. I think Kasumu, I think there's a lot of work to be done with him. I think he needs I think he needs a manager going forward to get the best out of him who really understands midfielders because at the moment he's got Neil Warnock who will not mind him clattering into people and taking the odd book in at all. And again, it's not a disparaging comment. I'm not saying that is a bad thing. There are games, systems, moments where that is needed on the pitch Steve you know that that is is a valid point at part of the game but I just worry a little bit because I see him carrying the ball quite a lot and his decision making can be all over the place he can carry the ball over 35 yards and look absolutely brilliant and play the perfect pass and 30 seconds later do the exact same thing and put it out for a throw in and it's it's the it's the consistency, it's the defining what his role is, you know, specifically. There's definitely a player there. I mean, it's, we both like him. This is not a sort of you know, hoy him out over the summer or anything. He's he's a really good player. He's a really good prospect. But I don't think he's the Jonathan Hogg replacement anymore because you know, Hoggy, bless him. He he hasn't got the pace. He hasn't got the desire to carry it forward. He hasn't got the ball. You know the desire to play the same sort of balls as David Kasumi does, but he's not a Lewis O'Brien replacement either. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's not like he gets through the work of sort of two midfielders as as O'Brien did and drives in the same way. So just kind of interested because I'm I just really struggling to define him. Really, really struggling to define him. And some people are sort of far more over on the side of, oh, he's, you know, I all I ever do is see him kick people and I'm, you know, I think he's bad on the ball. Other people think he's wonderful on the ball. And it's it's a really he's become quite a quite an odd player to watch sometimes that he does swing so wildly from one to the other, and I'm just there's definitely a place. And I, do you know what? In a relegation fight, having a player like that who's willing to carry the ball out, and yeah, you know, if his decision making isn't great at, at certain times, you will sort of take that on the chin for the times it is, won't you? You know, mm-hmm. you, it, it's it's a trade off, and you'll you'll go fine. But it's just longer term. I, I, I genuinely don't know how he fits into a sort of... Because he's not an eight, is he? You know, he's not an well, eight. No. <sighs> I, I think he is. I think part of the confusion might be he has been messed about a little bit with the positions he's been asked to play because he's, he's played right back, right wing back, right wing. And I asked him recently, have you played those positions before? He said no. <laughs> yeah. So, so oh, that's he, part I, of that's, it, I think. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely part of it. But even then, it's though, yeah. <laughs> like in the space of five minutes, he can look like he's played there 250 times and he's an absolute yeah. natural to looking like he's played there two minutes. It's yeah. I, I don't know. I just find him a really... It's not even frustrating. I find I find him quite fascinating to watch, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. I thought against Sunderland, it was kind of him in summary because I thought twen- mm. first twenty five minutes, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. I thought he was making every tackle, chasing every ball, doing really well, doing everything good that Town were doing with that high pressing system. And then he makes that stupid attempt to win the ball. <laughs> where I'm not sure he needs to go to ground that early, but if he does, he has to win the ball or at least take the man. Take the man, take the card, fine. Does neither, and Sunderland get in and score. And then I thought for half an hour after that, he was awful. Absolutely dreadful, either either side of the break. Couldn't get his touching, couldn't get his eye in. Was all over the place positionally off the ball. And then for the final 30 minutes, he was fine. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> just just fine and and it's sort of it is the good the bad and the ugly with him I think um and I'm certainly forgiving because he's he's 23 years old so he's still a, a young player he's playing championship football for the first time in his career um you know having played at, at most nearly all his football at league one level I think a little bit in league two He's played more minutes this season than league minutes this season than any other season in his mm. career because we know he's had injury problems in the past, which thankfully, having got a hamstring injury on his debut, mm. he's been basically fit since then. So hopefully that that's behind him now. I think when I looked at the stats when they first signed him, he did look every bit like that Lewis O'Brien replacement because what he does is tackle and carry the ball. He's very good at getting out of tight spaces. Um, maybe isn't brilliant in the final third, but but neither was Lewis. It's interesting because I think in the summer there was a bit of a, at the time, a misconception that Jack Rodoni was the Lewis O'Brien replacement. Yeah. And when you, when you yeah. looked at Jack Rodoni's numbers from Wimbledon, it's like, no, this is a player who is all about the final third. He's all about mm. goals and assists, and he does work hard. His, his tackling numbers were very high for a player who plays mostly in the final third, but 
but he is a final third player. But it's it's interesting that Rodoni basically has become that Lewis O'Brien replacement. He has dropped deeper. He has become that hard-working left-footed central midfielder um, who weirdly hasn't done a lot in the final third for, for town until very, very recently. So I think with young players, you're going to get inconsistency. I think with championship players, you're going to get inconsistency. And I think sort of Kasumu is is both those things. You know, we mentioned against Watford, I thought he was one of Town's best players. He was right up there, just behind Gromer and, and Rodoni for me, for, for Town's best players on, on that day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think consistency is is the issue for him. I, I don't think he is a I don't think he is a Jonathan Hogg, I'd agree with that. I don't think he's a six as as Town would call it, a defensive mm-hmm. midfielder who's just gonna sit and screen the the, the defence because I think he's got I he think wants to waste. break out. He wants to Yeah, out, you know it's a waste of his mobility to play him there. Yeah. Yeah, you you can't sit as a six and do that because if you are going to be a, a proper six, really if you have an attacking eye, you, you you're quarterbacking. You're not charging into space because then you have to have a defender next to him who basically sits in a sort of proto six. So what's <laughs> so don't play him as a six. Just play a six if you want. If you want a defensive midfielder in there, put a defensive midfielder in there. But I'm just not sure he's an eight either. This is what I mean. I'm just mm. not sure he's. Yeah, he he likes to carry the ball and he takes risks and he does try to break the lines, but. It would be it would be very interesting. I think it, we like we don't know what the future is going to be, but it'd be very interesting to see if you had a, a defensive midfielder in there, David Kasumu, and then like a really sort of passing creative eight. Yeah, you know, to sit to sit in that little triumvirate. It would be interesting to see how that worked. To be honest, because I think the thing about Kasumu is I think you need to balance him a little bit and I'm not mm-hmm. sure Town have the personnel to balance him at the moment yeah I'd agree with that and we got to the point with Lewis O'Brien who was absolutely brilliant but it was the same thing you kind of had to balance with him because Lewis wanted to break out and he wanted to get forward and he wanted to carry and he wanted to press and he wanted to take risks trying to win the ball back so you had to play Hoggy next to him to, to do what Didier Deschamps would have said was the water carrying, you know, to, to literally step into that space behind him and allow him to do that. So he's he's an interesting player. He's clearly got like bags and bags of talent. But I just, I, I, it's kind of like I don't know if he's going to be... I feel like he, he's got a chance of going on and being like absolutely sensational or he's got a chance of going on and sort of fading into John Russell one. territory. Yeah. <laughs> In the and again, you know, I'm not trying to sort of disparage John Russell, but we we've seen the sort of career arc, haven't we? We know what's happened there. But I think Kasuma's got far more talent, and he's got certainly yes. got far more athleticism, which will take him a lot further anyway. But yeah, I just it's interesting to see what the future holds there, and I think the right manager, like a real sort of midfielders manager, I think would look at him and could evolve him into into something else but I'm just not quite sure what he is at the moment interesting um there's another selection dilemma to talk about Dave uh Lee Nichols is back played for the B team played 90 minutes of the B team against Stockport assuming it that means he's first team ready and you would imagine that it does do you put him in for Thomas Fashlick or do you keep Fashlick yes (laughs) I I think the thing is right Vaslik has come good. There's no denying yes. that. And he's a really, really good shot stopper. 
he's he's still clearly struggling with his mobility, and people people can tell me that he's not, but he just doesn't come for crosses the same way. He doesn't come for corners the same way. He's not as he's not as willing to take risks with his mobility as Lee Nichols is. And one of the things that Lee Nichols is really really good at is just snuffing stuff out before it's got a chance to develop. You know, and it's he knows the back line. It's not like he needs time to bed himself in. I think if he's 100%, you put him in. My caveat is exactly that, if he's 100%. You know, because I don't think there's any point hooking Vaslik out, who I'm saying I think still has got a bit of a mobility issue, but is is brilliant on his line, to put a keeper in who's got a bit of a mobility issue and you're kind of hoping he's brilliant on his line. So that's my caveat, but... Lee Nichols was the best goalkeeper in that league last season, Steve. Mm. And I'm not talking statistically, I'm talking to the eye test. And people laughed about the sort of, you know, Lee Nichols England stuff. But there were conversations that were had, you know, there were conversations that were had because if you're if you're willing to look in as they were at some keepers, because we're not blessed with ranks of them, you know, he was in that discussion for a reason. He's probably four or five, isn't he? Yeah. Within the list of yeah. English goalkeepers. Exactly that, and the, the the thing is, he was he's been really good this season. There was a couple of games where we did a podcast and we were like, mm, you know, it, he's he's allowed he's allowed to have a couple of off games because of everything else he gives. But you have to look at the circumstances and the situation and the the defence that was in front of him and the sort of general chaos that was going on anyway. But if he's fit and ready, you you play Lee Nichols. He he, you know, it wouldn't be a debate for me. But I want him to be a hundred percent. I want yeah. him to be. If not, just continue with with Vashlek, You know, because he's after a bit of a horror start. It would be fair to say you're kind of seeing what he can do. But it's just it's just that mobility, Steve. He just you you. <sighs> He may be 100% and feel 100%, but there are clearly situations he doesn't trust his body yeah. in. And that's fine. He he is sort of navigating around that with his experience and with his natural talent absolutely fine at the moment. But Lee Nichols is Lee Nichols, you know? He's really, really good. And we shouldn't forget the fact he's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. I I think... I was gearing up for a debate, but yeah, I think you've expressed my sentiments exactly there. I think if if Lee Nichols is is one hundred percent, you you play him. I think it's kind of a, but I think it is a bit of a no lose situation for Town. And yeah, it's. I think the only unfortunate thing is that if if Lee Nichols isn't one hundred percent and he comes in and then Thomas Faxlick drops a clanger, everyone will be saying why why haven't you played Lee Nichols? I think if Lee Nichols comes in and does something that's very un Lee Nichols like and concedes a goal as a result, you're saying, why have you put him in before he's fit? Neither of those things might be true. Neither of those things might have uh, might be fair, but I think it's an inevitability. So, But I think that the nice thing is is that those are two goalkeepers who I think you, you trust to not come in and drop a clanger yeah. in three extremely important games. And, you know, I agree with all the things you've highlighted with Vash that, you know, he's, he's 34 years old, which is not super old for a goalkeeper, but it's still... You know, you're into your tail end of your career, aren't you? And he's played over 500 club games plus his international cap. So if he's, you know, you, you forgive you forgive him slightly if if he's maybe not as spry as he once was. But he has saved down a lot of points with some of his performances. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a couple of games, a couple of saves he made against Sunderland. One of them was 
looked like a pretty standard save when I first saw it and then I saw the replay it's like oh, actually that's an excellent mm. stop um, didn't have anything to do against Swansea really but against Blackburn he kept them in that game when oh, yeah Brilliant. absolutely that's bombarded it, 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 second half he was sensational yeah absolutely sensational Millwall he was excellent Bristol City he was excellent so you know he has saved already saved town a number of points that that basically means they're not relegated already mm. or at least not in the bottom three going into these final three games of the season so if he does come out and Lee Nichols comes back in I think you need to just appreciate that there's absolutely no shame in that and uh, as you say Lee Nichols is it's the best keeper in the championship so yeah. why not put him in yeah but the, I think the other thing with Lee Nichols is that you forget like you forget all of those saves that Lee Nichols doesn't have to make yeah. Somebody said to me, he said, oh, he saves a lot, but they're all sort of hit it straight at him or, you know, straight at his chest. And it's like, well, yeah, that's because his positioning is really, really, really good. Like yeah. freakishly good. There's a reason everything seems to come within about of a, a foot of him. And that's because he puts himself where he knows the ball's going to be. And yeah, you know, what... <laughs> For once, what a lovely decision to have to make. Do I play mm. my one really, really, really good goalkeeper or my other really, really good goalkeeper, you know? Yeah, it's a massive weekend and a massive weekend even before town kick a ball, really. Um, Cardiff could, uh, in principle, basically be safe. Well, would could be safe before they even kick off on Sunday. Town could technically join them there as we discussed most teams have two games left town have three they've got Sheffield United which we'll come on to next week I think because I think we need to do a podcast before that game Dave if we possibly can because we'll have a clearer picture but you'd rather be in town's position than Reading's <laughs> I think mm. it's I think it's safe to say both in terms of the order the games are coming in the points they need but that that game on the final day of the season, I think we'll be keeping, giving people a few sleepless nights um, potentially over the the next week or so. I'm not having it, Mia. <laughs> I think it'll be <laughs> done and dusted before the final day. But it's easy for me to say that because I'm an analyst. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan, and I know what. I I after Steve <laughs> Steve saw what I was like via WhatsApp on Sunday when I was full <laughs> fan because we're in the FA Cup semi-final so uh, it's not like I've forgotten how fans feel but I, I, I just think there's a very good chance it'll be done I, what Town have done since Warnock has come in is basically get themselves into a mini league and they weren't they mm. weren't at one point they've got themselves into a mini league with Cardiff, QPR and Reading I just don't think Town are going to finish fourth out of those four clubs in that mini league. That's just my honest my honest take on it. And I think it's not just about having the extra game. I just think they've got a bit of a momentum. I think they'll go for the win against Cardiff. They might not get it, but I, I, I could see them picking up another point and I think that'll be a very handy point. And the Sheffield United game is interesting because I, I think... It completely depends what Sheffield United they're going to play against. We've all seen what's happened to Burnley since they've mm. won the uh, since it, the promotion was secured, and I know they've they've won the title now. But yeah, it, it, it's a sort of imp- imperceptible shift really in players' minds. 
you know they I don't believe in you know they're on the beach Steve I, I I'm not having that because they're sportsmen and they're professional athletes it's not something they consciously think about but it's it's you've had all of that pressure for so long and then sometimes you know that valve is open and you just can't help but it just changes the way you think and the decisions you make now sometimes teams go the other way and the mm-hmm. pressure's off and they think right well we're going to play some flowing stuff now you know Swansea. we're going re- yeah <laughs> we're going to really enjoy ourselves but yeah it, it, it is a big weekend i think it's a, i think it's a huge game sunday i think town of um, credit to the club for putting the coaches on to take the supporters down mm-hmm. there so they'll be they'll have a a very noisy away contingent there, which I think is important in these situations. And I just, I, I think, I think Town can take something from that game. I really do. You know, it's it's far from a given. Cardiff need it desperately too. But you know, Warnock will want Cardiff to open up a little bit against them, and Cardiff will want to win to get over the line at home. So there will be opportunities there, I think, on the break. There will. I, I don't think you're going to see Town set themselves out to suddenly play like a really flowing 3-4-3 or anything. But I think what you, what they'll do is they'll pick a side that can break. They'll pick a side that has got Josh Caroma in it and he is sort of the target for the key balls as often as possible. And yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but I've just got a gut feeling they might well get something from there. We'll see. Yeah, a, a, whatever Reading do, a win would go a very long way. Yeah, I mean, I, as we discussed, yeah. I, I, I think they need to win. There's, there is ways, there are ways they can stay up without winning any of these three. But, but obviously, they make their jobs a lot easier if they do yeah. get at least one win. Um, if Reading lose on Saturday, then three points probably gets town there if if Blackpool haven't beaten Millwall. Um, I but think I in think most, but in they, in most other scenarios, it's you know four points would be enough as long as they don't lose to Reading. Uh, yeah. and it could be that four points is enough on its own, um, regardless of what Reading do. So getting off to getting a win against either Cardiff or Sheffield United is hugely important, I think. And and you'd probably fancy them to get it against Cardiff more than you would against Sheffield United. Yeah, I mean you. would like who knows? As I said, that Sheffield United game is quite a sort of unknown because we just don't know what they're going to look like, Steve. Do we? That's that's the thing. But I I kind of think what's interesting is that if they go and get that win at Cardiff, I I, I would guarantee they will get a win out of either Sheffield United or Reading. They will get another three points. They'll get you know they'll finish the season with six points as a minimum. So it's quite. It's quite an interesting game. They can afford to draw it, I think, which yes. is is key because what I wouldn't advocate is if it's one one with ten to go. I, I genuinely wouldn't advocate throwing the kitchen sink at it. But at the same time, you know there is that opportunity to get it done. But I just I I think it's significant having Reading on the final day. It's a it's a great game for narrative, isn't it, Steve? But. Mm-hmm. They've got to be careful that they don't think they've got a safety net. That's the thing because you know Sheffield United is not a safety net. It's no. it's a it's a very difficult game. As we said, who knows what state they're going to be in? So this is the chance, really. If they're going to get it done early, this is the chance because I think if they get three points, you know, we, mathematically it may not be done, but I think we can start thinking in terms of championship rather than league one for next season intro so yeah i mean i've already seen people saying yeah but if they beat Reading, then they're safe regardless and that's 
almost certainly correct unless Blackpool pull off a miracle. But you don't want that to be a safety net. Again, no. we're talking about safety nets. You don't want, oh, we have to win on the final day to be <laughs> to yeah. be a backup plan. D. No, because, I mean, Town have, like, Town have <laughs> deep psychological scars for going down on the final day of the season. And if you can avoid that scenario, if you if, if it's in your hands to try and get yourself out of that scenario, then you've got to really take that opportunity. I just think Warnock is really, really canny. So I think he will really target that Cardiff game to try and get three points. And I think he will like the fact that they need three points as well because I think it will open it out a little bit. Yeah. And then I think against Sheffield United, he may well, if they get the three points at the weekend, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he just made it as stodgy as possible and just tried mm. to get the nil-nil, get another point on the board, yeah. get it done. And... It, you know, neither of us could particularly argue with that, Steve. Yeah. You know, and as I say, it's possible Cardiff might not even need the three points by the time Sunday's around. If they beat yeah. Rotherham on Thursday and then Reading lose, then they're they're sorted. So yeah, and yeah. It, it, it's. I just think I just think it's worth saying again, though. It's just it's remarkable that we're in this position and talking this way. We did the podcast. I think it was about what it was about a month ago. <laughs> you know, it's not not ages ago where. We essentially had to talk about town as if they were down, you know, yeah. and we. It was a miserable one to do, and it wasn't, you know, we we stand by everything we said on that podcast because that's where they were at the time, but it is it is a remarkable job, and I think like, I mean, I'm I may be in the minority when I say this, but I don't think I necessarily like to watch a Neil Warnock season, but I thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> ten weeks of Neil. <laughs> Uh, sex tape um <laughs> yeah before we wrap up do you have anything to add dave i just want to say how delightful it was to i don't know if people saw the little sky sports video <laughs> of Dwayne holmes and martin waghorn when they said that the manager's favorite was romani edmund's green you should just look at my face just look at my face i was so happy about that I still my love him, I can't help it, I still love him. My favourite bits uh, were, I'm not going to say anything about Hoggy because I'm scared of him, uh, and try, they try to guess the player basically based on descriptions that they're giving each other. Uh, my other favourite one was, uh, lovely lad, head screwed on, worked really hard. Scott High, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I also liked, as well, head on a stick, and before it said stick... Basically, as soon as he said head on, it was boily, boily. <laughs> I think he gets boily for half of them, to be fair. But yeah, no, no it, was was really Matty, it was Matty P. He kept saying Matty, Matty P. P, Matty P, Matty P. Um, yeah, lovely stuff. That was enjoyable. Um, best of luck to everyone who's doing pet pedal for pounds. It's already well yes. underway um, as we're recording this. You can obviously the club are, are well on top of that. It was impractical, unfortunately, for for me to go and follow it because I do have work to do, um, and it does take uh, several days to get completed. But no, um, massive effort by everyone, raising a lot of money for uh, for much needed uh, charity work. And you can go on the club social channels to to see all the updates on that and find out where to donate. But yeah, congratulations and and uh, good luck to everyone who's doing that. What is your musical recommendation, Dave? Um, I've been listening to a lot of Underworld, um, but the thing is, I, like, I love a lo- There's loads of their albums I love, 
um, like Boku Fish is brilliant and various others, but they're a little bit daunting because they kick out double albums in the same way that Prince used to kick out double albums. Like, So I would genuinely suggest just a, a This Is Underworld playlist or any sort of Underworld playlist because, like I say, some of their albums, I think they've got like a 40-track album, Steve, you know? Not everybody has the time on their hands, do they? <laughs> Bear in I'm mind, not... some of their best songs are like eight or nine minutes long as well. It's a commitment, that's what I'm saying. Are you committed? That's what you've got to ask yourself. <laughs> uh, speaking of having time on your hands, it's going to take me a while to get through the name of this album title. Uh, it's uh, Eve's Tumor or Ives Tumor. I'm never quite sure. I've only ever seen it written down, and it depends whether he pronounces it the French, French way or not. Uh, but the album is called Praise the Lord Who Choose, But Which Does Not Consume, or Simply Hot Between Worlds. Uh, a bit of... <laughs> uh, a bit of um, very hip, Eric Spental, experimental electronic music for you there. A bit of art pop. Oh, I might have a listen to that then. <laughs> so that's Ives Tumor. Y-V-E-S Tumor. T-U-M-O-R. <laughs> Lovely. Great stuff. We'll see you next time on Who To Be A Terrier. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Goodbye. See you there.